My name is Mitch Weaver. Um, I've been coming to Oakwood for roughly a year and a half now, uh, coming up on two years-ish. Uh, and, and yeah, um, I grew up really in a Christian home uh, with parents that uh, were Christians and they demonstrated that uh, through their behaviors. We went to church all the time, regularly. We really didn't miss a Sunday unless it was for some like sports tournament uh, that was not in town or something like that. Um, and not only that, but they really just demonstrated those examples at home, whether it was the way they treated us, the way they treated uh, my siblings and other people. Um, and so I really got to grow up with an example of really what Christ looks like. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, doesn't mean everything was perfect uh, during that time. Uh, we always had, we had our challenges, we had our struggles and, um, and heartaches within our family, but uh, it was definitely something I'm very grateful for. Um, and when I was nine, uh, because of probably the environment I got to grow up in, uh, when I was nine, I accepted Christ. Um, and at a very young age, um, at a Jeff Moore concert, uh, for those of you who remember that, <laughs> like Jeff Moore, way back in the day, uh, 1999, and I uh, did it at a concert, and they asked for people to pray kind of during that time. I talked to my dad about it, and he's like, I think we should go down. Uh, so we went down to the stage, just as they had asked us to. Um, got to meet with someone on staff, um, and just kind of talk about the decision that I made to follow Christ. Um, and I just I remember vividly what it looked like, even though I was nine, uh, the ride home afterwards, um, the decision, and just thinking about what that meant uh, in that moment. And, you know, I was baptized in Lake Ontario, um, in the good old upstate New York. And in the middle of a storm, waves crashing down, it was kind of wild, um, something I've always remembered. But I think it was shortly after that is when I really started to kind of figure out who I was as a person. And I was really involved in athletics, really played, I played soccer um, pretty regularly all the time. And it was the thing I wanted to really pursue. And it was at that moment where I started to make a shift um, in my priorities. Uh, and I put, started to put soccer, I put athletics a little bit higher um, on the priority list than God, um, as well as relationships um, with people uh, in, in high school. And those were the two things, like, am I looking like, am I popular, am I fitting in, am I pleasing other people, um, and then am I also being the athlete that I want to be. Um, and then God was there, um, as he always is, but it was more of like an afterthought. I was a Christian, I believed everything that I had to, but I really wasn't pursuing God. Um, and that started to show just through my behaviors, maybe the way I interacted with people, um, on the field and uh, in the sports that I was playing. I uh, wasn't necessarily the kindest person. I uh, was uh, definitely someone that uh, didn't fully control um, everything that was coming out of my mouth. And I think, and I continued as I continued kind of through high school, like I was able to kind of make it through all that type of stuff. And I think at that point, I decided when I was deciding where to go for college, I um, decided on a Christian college. Uh, I got to play soccer um, at a Christian college. And instantly, I was thrown into like a group of friends. You're thrown onto a team, you have 20 to 30 friends, like you don't even have to try. Um, and that, that's, that's what's great about sports. But with that, because it was a Christian school, the faith piece was first with this team. And that was something I'd never experienced. I, I grew, went, through a, went to a public high school, um, and so this was just not something that was normal. It was God and sports being together. And I was very thankful that I got to see great examples, got to see um, what it looked like to serve God through athletics. Um, but during my first year or two, I really didn't dive into that. I was still kind of had the priorities of athlete. I was in a, um, 
serious relationship at that time. Um, and also, uh, and then there was God. Again, it was still that kind of three tiers, if you will, and God was always kind of on the bottom. And it wasn't until I was in my sophomore year where there was kind of a turning point. Um, I basically was told, you're not performing the, as well as you should. You're, did not meet the, you're not meeting the expectations on the field that we thought you would meet. And so very inst like instantly, my identity as an athlete, what I had identified as my entire life, was just essentially crushed. And I was basically told, you need to prove that you deserve to stay on this team. And that was a blow at that time. Like, that just crushed me. Similar timing, I also made a few poor decisions with um, in a relationship that I was in, and that relationship essentially ended. Um, and it was pretty serious at that time. And so instantly, the two things that were my priority were almost, I wouldn't say taken away, but just came crashing down. And it was tough at that time. I mean, now I think about it, it's like, okay, with a relationship, it's not a big deal. But at that time, it was just as if I had just been punched in the gut and then getting hit while I was down. I think in that moment I felt so many different emotions. I was embarrassed, I was disappointed, not only in myself, but felt a level of disappointment from my parents. Um, I felt a level of shame and guilt, and as if God could not use me. Like I had done enough, I had not taken the abilities he had given me and used them for his glory, I had not made great decisions, and here I am, like he can't use me. Like I, I kind of lost that opportunity. Um, and at that time, uh, our soccer team always essentially would do a memory verse for every year. And like, kind of like, what do we want to stand for during that, um, during that upcoming season? And through that, the memory verse at that time, it was very clear about persevering and running the race, um, for God and not for kind of being an athlete. Uh, and it was 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And I think what's, in that moment, I decided like, you know what, I'm just gonna memorize the verse, whatever, it's not a big deal, I need to make sure I have it before I go into this new season. And as I'm reading it, it just kept hitting me and hitting me like, no, you need to make a change. You need to shift your priorities to me before anything else. And it was at that moment where I realized I was never pursuing God. I think that at that time I was like, okay, here we go. I have to pursue him. And so I started pursuing him through the daily devotions, through spending more time in prayer. And I started to feel a shift and I started to say, okay, I'm gonna push these other two things away. Being an athlete and the, and the idea of having a relationship. Now I was still on the team and very quickly, I started to like realize, oh, it's not just glorifying God through pursuing Him, but pursuing Him through the behaviors and actions that we do, uh, whether that's playing sports or the people we interact with. And so I said, I'm not, I'm done with dating. It's not going to be a thing. And God was like, yeah, well, that's great, but I have something different in mind. And so He put my now wife uh, in front of me at some point uh, in that my junior year, and here we are, ten years later, married, um, and things are. are are going very well with that. And I think what's interesting, I think about like over the last 10 years, that turning point not only led me to God, but the amount of things that God was faithful with over the next 10 years, whether that was a wife that loves God first uh, before anything else, or that was providing kids 
um, our ability to have kids and as we struggled through that and now we have two beautiful kids Holden and Jackson and just being able to like show the love to them that we get to um, whether that's moving different jobs and moving across the entire country to Enid, Oklahoma, uh, moving further away from our family than we thought we would ever um, be. And it's God blessing us through those situations and pushing us through those because they're not easy. Like we've experienced those trials, those challenges, those heartaches. And I think of what through that God has constantly said, listen, you might continue to create your own plan, but I still have a better one and follow me and I will guide you through that. And it's not that it's been easy, but it's that, it's that it, it's, we constantly are reminded to put God first, whether it's above money, whether it's above relationships, whether it's above a career. And I think that that is something that God continues to work on in my life. And I'm so very thankful that God is faithful um, with uh, his love and his perseverance after us. Man, do you appreciate Mitch sharing his testimony this morning? Cool thing about this in this series is, is uh, this is week two of Tell Me Your Story, is that we're going to kind of get to know some people in our church family this summer. Um, and uh, Mitch and his wife have uh, been here about a year and a half, and man, I've enjoyed getting to know them. And uh, I mean, I just appreciate the uh, guts it takes to be able to do that, to record something like that, um, and, and being able to share your story. But at the same time, I think, wow, we all have a story, right? If you're a Christian, everyone in this sanctuary has a story, and God wants to use your story. He wants to use it. There's so many things that you could draw out of Mitch's testimony, so many different themes. Um, he even gives us 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, which is not what the sermon's about today. But there's so many things throughout these that they ca- they're things that catch you, you know. You're watching this and you're like, oh, man, I-, I can relate to that. Or, oh, I can relate to this. And, you know, that's the cool thing about a story about God is there's so many parts of it that God can use to catch someone's attention and maybe even turn their heart more toward him. And that's, that's the goal of this series um, is to tell these God stories and to let his glory be evident to all of us. Now, something that he touched on there about eight different times throughout his testimony was this idea of what does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to look like I've got it all together? And, and, and if we are 100% honest from everyone here in the sanctuary today, whether you're a Christian or maybe you haven't accepted Christ yet, uh, maybe you're on a, in a good place in life, maybe you're running away from God with all that you are, uh, maybe you've gone through a really bad season, maybe you're in a great place better than you've ever been. It doesn't matter. At some point in your life, I believe that every human comes to this point where they struggle with wanting to be successful or to look successful to the people around them. It's something that we all struggle with. The thing is, is that we have been sold a bill of goods by the world say, saying, this is what you've got to look like. This is what you've got to pursue. This is the main thing in your life. This is what it's all about. And the fact is, is that it's really pursuits that, that lead nowhere good in life. That we are called by God to pursue him in godly places, to, to pursue success based on God's standards and what, what, what he wants from us in, in Scripture. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today as we uh, continue in this series. Now, we, like I said, we've been sold this bill of goods. I don't know if you remember this, but, but uh, we 
like to look successful even if we're not. It's kind of like images everything. Have you, do you remember this athlete from the 1990s? Uh, do you, does anyone remember this guy? Are any of you old enough to remember this guy? Andre Agassi, right? I mean, I thought he was so cool. This would have been in my teenage years, and I thought he was so cool, tennis champion. He actually did an ad campaign for Canon. And if you remember when they did the ad campaign for Canon, uh, the, the tagline on it was, image is, do you know what it was? Image is everything, right? Some of you remember that. Image is everything. Everything is based on, you know, it's all the perception of reality. Now, you can see why that would play into a camera company trying to sell you cameras and lenses and all that kind of stuff. But that was kind of the mantra of that time in the 90s was, hey, image is everything. If you could just look good by the world's standards, if you can look like you're all put together on the outside, man, image and what people think of you is everything. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, He actually deals with this. It's amazing how many times we go through things in life and we think, oh, well, Jesus in Bible times didn't have to deal with this. Oh, yes, he did. In fact, he dealt with it on several occasions. We're going to look at at several of those this morning. But here's what I want us to consider this morning is how do we define success in life? And by what standard should Christians define success? Because I think if we're honest, we are all tempted to always want to be perceived as successful as we go throughout our lives. And we must consider this. Who are we trying to impress? Because some people throw their whole life, their whole heart, their whole work into achieving something that's just temporary in this world. And it becomes like almost an idol to them, like their main thing. Now, I'm just curious of this. I've got, got some things. How many of you remember who won the 4A high school girls state championship in basketball four years ago? Nobody. Wow, that was first service too. Okay, well, let's try another one. Um, who was the state wrestling champion last year? State, state wrestling. Come on, say his name. He was awesome. Worked so hard. Super strong guy. Nobody. Wow, okay. Because, man, state championships would be good. All right, let's, let's go a little higher than that. Who won the U.S. Open Tennis Championship? Men or women, singles, last year? Who won the U.S. Open last year? No, nobody. It's okay. It's hard to pronounce their names. I looked them up. I, I can't even pronounce the man or the woman that won. But, okay, well, let's go with another one, okay? We've got a lot of football people in the church, right, up in God's church. So, Super Bowl, Super Bowl champion nine years ago. Yeah, Seattle Seahawks. I didn't see that one coming either. Seattle, Seattle won a Super Bowl nine years ago, yeah, or, or maybe even like four years ago. You know, four years ago, maybe you're safe to, to guess. We don't really know for sure. Was that Chiefs? That when they, no, it wasn't the Chiefs. No, that was the New England Patriots back when they had a quarterback named Tom Brady that is no more. So, but isn't it amazing how these people are so dedicated to their sports, and they'll work in the off-season, they'll play year-round, and they'll, they'll be in the weight room, and they'll be doing agility drills, and they'll do all this stuff and pour all this stuff. And, you know, this is important. These aren't bad things. Winning a state championship is actually really awesome. I mean, do you know how many people, you know, actually win a state championship and get the medal or get the ring? I mean, it's quite an achievement, but you have to be really, really dedicated to it. But if that is what we live our life for, and that's what we have our identity in, is to get this ring or to get this achievement by the world standards, and we're sold out and all in on that and that alone, we have missed it, folks. 
Because in the kingdom of God, it's, it's, totally, it's totally a different standard. Because Jesus redefines success. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus is not against success in this life. He's not against success. If you think that's where we're going with the message is, well, this is about Jesus doesn't want you to be successful. No, no, no. Jesus wants you to be successful. He just wants you to be successful at the right things. He wants you to win in your family. He wants you to win in your parenting. He wants you to win in your life and your relationship with God because your eternal life hinges upon that relationship. And he also wants you to have a really good life in this world. But it's not achieved through the things that you might think it's achieved through. And there's a lot of people that get it wrong that, hey, Jesus, he just doesn't want you to be successful in life. No, he just wants you to be successful at things that actually matter. So let's get into the text this morning. Let's see what, what God's word has to say about that. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. So if you, if you have your Bible, turn there. Mark chapter 9 this morning. If you go to the beginning of the New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, also known as the Gospels, or the stories of Jesus. And so in that second book in the New Testament, Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to begin this morning. And as always, you are welcome to, if you have your phone, uh, your tablet, your, your, your iPad or whatever, follow along in there. Go, download the Oakwood app, go to Sermon Notes, and all the scriptures and everything will be there for you. The main thing, the win this morning is God's church, is for you to hear from the word of God this morning. Let, let this word well up in you, let it change you, let it mold you, let it steer you a right direction in your life. So Mark chapter 9. Now, I always like to give a little context because we're jumping in the middle of a passage here at verse 33. What is going on here in Mark's gospel in chapter 9? Well, it's kind of interesting. Jesus has just cast out a demon from a small boy. This boy was mute. He could not speak. And a lot of times he would have convulsions. He would have like seizures. And he would actually roll around on the ground and foam at the mouth. I mean, all this is there earlier in chapter 9. And so Jesus has just healed this boy, has cast out this demon, showing his power as the Son of God. And then he's with his disciples who have been witness to all these miracles that he's been doing. And they begin to travel to the next place where Jesus is taking them. And that's where we pick up verse 33 here. Jesus is traveling with his disciples He's on the road. If you go back to just a couple verses above that, to verse 30, Jesus actually just on this trip has just told the disciples, he's like dropped a bomb for the second time. For the second time, he's told his disciples, hey, I'm going to die. What? Jesus, you're not going to die. Yeah, I'm going to die, but on the third day I'll be raised. I'm going to be handed over to, the, to sinful men. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die, but on the third day I'm going to raise up. I want you guys to think about this as we travel. Now we hit verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, Hey, what were you arguing about on the road back there when I told you I was going to die? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12, that's the 12 disciples, together. And he said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. You see, Jesus right here, he's already turned it on its side, right? I mean, worldly success is not where it's at. It's not about climbing the ladder of success. It's not about being so successful. It's not, it's not about this ascension to greatness. That's not what he's saying here. He, he, he boldly just puts out and says, hey, you got to be a servant, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God. 
So you're thinking here, right, Mark chapter 9, to see the disciples hear this. And so they were stricken to the heart. They totally changed their ways. So let's just jump one chapter. We're in, we're in 935, right? Let's just go to 1035. One chapter over. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Let's see what it says here. It says, then James and John, that's two of Jesus' disciples, the sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of thunder. I don't know if that was because of their temper or Oklahoma City Thunder fans. I don't know. But anyway, the, the sons of thunder, they came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Ooh. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? I mean, Jesus is like, can you live to these standards? I mean, can you, so the, the cup he's talking about, there's the cup of suffering. He's like, are you going to be able to suffer? Are you going to be able to do these things? And, and then look at how they answer in verse 39. We can, they answered. <laughs> Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Uh, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, that's the other ten disciples, when the ten heard about this, they, become, they became indignant with James and John. And in verse 42, it says, Jesus called them all together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. That means like they have dominion over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. It gives them this idea of they're flaunting their authority. They rule them like tyrants, like they're just so much better than everyone else. And then in verse 43, Jesus says, Not so with you, disciples. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. I mean, Jesus just lays it out right there. And he says, hey, guys, I came to give my life away. I came to serve. And if you want to be winner in the kingdom of God, you want to be winner in life even, then you got to quit worrying about who's sitting at my right and left and who's the best and who's the highest. And to trying to achieve those worldly pursuits because we're talking the kingdom of God here. It's amazing how Jesus answers them. And it's amazing the struggle. But here's the truth this morning. Our culture has exchanged true greatness for great aptness. Our culture has exchanged true greatness in life for great aptness. Most of us, if we had a choice, do you want to be Michael Jordan or Mother Teresa? We'd say, hey, I like Mike. Oh, to be like Mike. But we have exchanged what is true greatness in the world for this true great atness. It's always about what you're great at. Your value is found in what you are great at. Can you throw the football a long way? Run really fast? Jump really high? Really a sharpshooter with the gun, the arrow. Really good at fishing. Really good at hunting. Really good at golf. 
Are, are you good at basketball? Are you, good, are you, are you good, at, good at all these hobbies and all these activities and all these worldly pursuits? Maybe you can drive a race car really, really fast. Maybe you're successful in business. You've got this great business mind. I mean, someone gives you a penny, you can make it $10 in a week. I mean, we have all of these pursuits to be great at things, but they all buy into a value system that is contrary to the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, it's not, are you good at making money? Are you good at your ability to throw a ball? Are you good at thinking through things and having this high, high intelligence? Are you good at being beautiful and making sure everything on the outside looks just so? That's what the world values. That's what the world sells to you. It's like money, intelligence, ability, beauty. Those things are the world's standards. Those are what the world values. And how you win in this world is you climb the ladder to success. You keep climbing. It doesn't matter if you step on someone below you. You just keep climbing. You look out for number one. You serve self. That's how you achieve success in this world. You climb the ladder of success, and then Jesus comes here and tells the disciples, no, you descend the ladder to success. What? The greatest among you will be your servant. What? Should be the slave of all. Because even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. And how Jesus says it here is really interesting in, in, chapter, in, in Mark chapter 10 there. He says, hey, not so with you. Not these values, not these standards. We are going to live by a heavenly standard, a kingdom standard. We're going to have standards like we read in Galatians chapter 6. If I say that, some of you Bible people, you know what I'm talking about. It's a section in Galatians 6 called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the maturity, the sanctification process happening in your life as a believer. And so what you see on the increase in kingdom values is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are kingdom values. When you can practice those things, the interesting thing about it, when you practice those things, Christians will notice, but the world notices too. The world actually values those things more than they would ever want to let on to you. But no, 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 no. It's always about money, intelligence, ability, and beauty. It's not about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not about those things. No, no. Focus on the money. Focus on the ability. I mean, if you just play year-round croquet for the rest of your life, man, you're going to be a stud by the time you're 27. Scholarships will pour in from Kamachatka, Russia. I mean, you go there being, I mean, it's going to be great. Buy in. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 buy out. Because our culture has exchanged true greatness for great atness. Does anyone feel that? Anyone see that? See that maybe in our own families? The second thing this morning, the struggle for success can both be a who and a what problem. It's both a who and a what problem. Let me explain what I mean. So many times it's about who we're trying to impress. And we can be like chameleons. I thought Mitch did a great job in his testimony talking about that, that he was worried about his image. He was worried about fitting in. He was worried about being popular. He was worried about what? About who these people thought he was and their perception of him. He bought into the lie that image is everything. But then when Jesus got a hold of his life and his heart, he realized, hey, it's not just about image, it's about what's 
inside of here. And it's about who am I trying to please and who am I trying to serve in my life. So many of us, we dress a certain way to impress a certain group. We use language a certain way to impress a certain group. We act a certain way, a certain behavior pattern we take on to fit in to a certain group. And yet the group or the person that we need to care about their approval the most is God Almighty. That's an approval you will want for eternity, not just for the 78.2 years on average that you're given here on the earth. And the struggle is not only a who, it's also a what problem. What? We like awards. We like recognition. We like trophies and accolades and certificates and recognition and all of those things. I was reminded of this at graduation. I had a daughter uh, graduate from high school. I went to these receptions in different people's houses, and I went to a reception here at the church. We had tables set up over in the dining room, and I, I went and uh, to different graduations, different schools. And it's amazing, like, what we celebrate. Not too many of those students have character awards on their tables. Not too many of them have awards of, hey, I baptized three friends in my junior high and high school years. Hey, I want you to know I had godly influence in my school because I started a Bible study or I led CU at the pole for three years. We didn't see that stuff on the tables. You know, we saw medals and certificates and things of the world that just said, yeah. And, and those things aren't bad. Don't hear me. Don't, 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 don't hear me wrong this morning that, oh, those things are really bad or they're evil. No, no. In and of themselves, they're not. But when those things become the only thing or the main pursuit in life, folks, it's an idol. Call it what it is. And God says, hey, not so with you. Not so with you, Christian brothers and sisters. We're not going to pursue the things of the world. Let's just go back to chapter 10, and, and let's just read the last three verses again, starting with verse 43. Mark chapter 10, 43 says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, don't we all just somewhere inside us want to kind of, yeah, I want greatness. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many he came to give his life away. And so when we read that, we realize less of you, less of you, more of him. And Jesus proved it his whole life. Because Jesus, when he went to pursue things in the culture, do you know who he liked to pick and hang out with? The least of these. Not the prettiest, not the richest, not the best smelling folks. And sure not the ones that were squeaky clean in their religion and their following. Adulterers. He actually comes and it seems like saves the life of a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Egregious sinners. We little tax collectors. They were pushing against the Jewish culture at the time by working for Rome and collecting taxes. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, maybe so in stature as the scripture says it, but I think he was a wee little man in the kingdom as well. And Jesus says, hey, wee little man, I want to hang out with you. In fact, I'm going to come to your house. How about the Son of God coming to your house? Jesus would help those with demon possession, social outkits, outcasts, the misfits of society. Jesus proved it by helping those who were low because he did not come to be served but to serve. 
and to give his life away to help those people. It's amazing, too, because we read this in Mark 9. We read it in chapter 10. Folks, this is all throughout the gospel. It's all throughout the New Testament. Jesus many times encounters people that have worldly success, and they think, I've got, I've got the rabbit by the ears, right? I've got this world. I, I've got it. I, I, I can have it right here. I can have it all. He even did this with the religious types, the religious elites. If you turn in your Bible, if you're in Mark, turn back to Matthew's gospel, chapter 23, beginning with verse 5. Jesus is here having an encounter with the religious people. People that didn't have the egregious sin problems. They would never commit adultery. They, 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 would never, they might have some pride and arrogance issues, but, they're, but man, you're not, you're, you know, they're going to stay off the cover of the magazines. And He's talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the religious elites, and this is what he says. He sits down with his disciples and with the crowds there. He says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. That were these, there were these boxes that they would put scripture into, and they would make them big, and they put them on their body. And it was, just, it was just to show off. And he's like, they make their phylacteries wide. They make their tassels of their garments long, so they look all ritualistic and holy. And they love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Now listen to what Jesus says about that. But you are not to be called rabbi as my followers, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And, you, and do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father who is in heaven. Nor are you to call and be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. All of these positions of, oh, you will call me rabbi, you will call me father, or you will call me the instructor with a capital I. These were positions to win earthly accolades. And Jesus says, you won't be called any of those and then he tells us the reason in verse 11. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. There it is again. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's interesting when you read that because you realize, hey, some people are going to be exalted. It says it right there in verse 12. But they're not going to be exalted for all the reasons that you think in the worldly success of things. No, they're going to be exalted because of their low status, because of their humility, and because their life is centered on Jesus. Because here's the remedy. You want the remedy this morning? The remedy is Jesus' life. The rest is details. And while we're staying in the theme of the 1990s ad campaigns, maybe you'll remember this one. Do you remember t-shirts like this? says basketball is life the rest is details do you remember these shirts i think i used to have one for drumline in high school drumline is life the rest is details you fill in the blank with what it is golf is life track is life football is life guitar is life whatever it is you know whatever these things are these things you know money pursuits climbing the ladder of success in my company owning my own company me achieving worldly status so i can Stick my chest out and say, yeah, I'm a self-made person. Are you really? Because all of those pursuits based on the world's value system get you empty. How many people that we look at in the world say, by the world's standards, you have done it. You have achieved success. And they say, I feel empty and gross and horribly lost. I think one of the highest suicide rates is the people that have achieved it all. 
because they bought into basketball as life and the rest is details. Folks, Jesus is life and the rest is details. I mean, that's what Mitch was telling us in the testimony. Hey, there came this point in my life which I realized Jesus is not third, he's number one. And when I got my priorities straight, it's amazing my life now. It's amazing how when I got my priorities straight in my relationship, that the relationship with God is my highest pursuit, not finding a spouse, amazing. When I got it right that achieving this relationship with God and pursuing him is the highest and first and best of my life, it's amazing how all these other things just fell into place. There's a scripture about that in there, Matthew 6, 33, right? Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Do you catch it? Seek first kingdom, kingdom of God, heavenly standards, eternal life. And righteousness, holiness, righteous living, living to God's standards is part of the Great Commission to obey everything he's commanded you. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And Mitch talked about it like this. He said, there was a priority shift in my life because I realized finally that Jesus is the main pursuit. And I was going to say goodbye to dating and pursuit of a relationship. And I was going to say goodbye to, to soccer. I was just like, soccer was going to move down. And when I seek first the kingdom of heaven, it's amazing. God is now in control. God is now where he needs to be. God will put you where you need to be. And some he will exalt. There's Christians in high places he will exalt. I, I was tickled by the timing of this with the OU softball team winning the national championship this week. Now, I didn't watch all the interviews and stuff. I've had like 15 of you tell me this in the lobby today. Uh, first, second service, been awesome to hear the stories. But I did catch an article by OU Daily Wire or something like that on Grace Lyons about a week ago. So before they won, before they were playing actually for the national championship. I was impressed by this young lady as their shortstop, their starting shortstop, number three, Grace Lyons. I was impressed by her testimony because her main thing is like, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower, and that's all that matters in my life. Now, I get to play softball. I love softball, but not like I love Jesus. And God could take softball away, but I feel like God's got me on this platform right now to bring him glory, and so that's what I'm going to do. I'm unashamedly Christian. I guess in that post-game interview with a bunch of those ladies, they just basically shared their testimony. Like this series, Tell Me Your Story, they told their story. Affects the culture. Makes people talk about it in church lobbies on Sunday. Using their platform and their influence where God put them. God gave them those talents and abilities. God brought them into the situation. God put them there for a greater purpose, and they get it. It's exciting for me to think that young ladies, you know, 19 to 22 years old could get it like that. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. All of these other things will be added, to you, added unto you as well. For some of us, it's about how we keep score in life. That's what's got you bound by the world, is how you keep score. And here's what Jesus wants to offer you this morning. You need a new scorekeeper that's going to call the balls and strikes in your life, his name is Jesus, and he's really, really good at keeping score. And he's going to put you in a place where you're moving the right direction in life. 
And you buy into these kingdom and these eternal standards instead of worldliness that's just going to fade away. And in his kingdom, it's not about really who you are. It's about whose you are. And it's because of who your heavenly father is that you can achieve much in life. And God will put you where he wants you to be. Some of us are going to stay down here. Some of us us may have a platform like OU softball team someday. But wherever it is, God says, love me, serve me, put me first, make me the priority. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these other things. I'll, I'll line them out in your life the way they're supposed to be. But make me first.